Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. And we are continuing our study in the book. Last night, I had a nightmare. It's true. I dreamt last night that my wife had another baby. And I think it's because we're going to be talking about kids of the kingdom. I mean, I've been thinking about this passage all week, and it's talking about infants, really. And believe it or not, I had a dream last night that my wife had another baby. And then the nightmare continued because I got a bill in the mail for $50,000. All right, so it was just an all-around pretty rough evening, pretty rough night. Uh, And I woke up and... uh, uh, sang my hymn of grateful praise that it was a dream. <laughs> but if you have your bulletin, I think it's green, you can take a peek there on the back side, which is opportunity for you to take some notes if you so choose. In the Synoptic Gospels, it says, the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the reason they're called the Synoptic Gospels is they all give a synopsis of the life of Christ. John is a little bit different in his authorship. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. And in the Synoptic Gospels, each writer includes today's passage. And each writer includes today's passage right before the story of the rich young ruler or the rich young man. And it's no accident, and I think it's important that each of these Gospels record this story Because the little children in this story find their way into God's kingdom with no merit of their own. Of course, a baby enters the kingdom of God with no merit of their own, and that is called grace. The rich young man, which we will talk about more next week, tries to use his deeds to enter the kingdom, and that is called works. And of course, that's not how you get into the kingdom. The children and their families went away rejoicing, and we will find out next week, the rich man went away sad. So the first point here is this. The disciples rebuked the families for bringing their children to Jesus. The disciples rebuked the families for bringing their children to Jesus. Why did they do that? Well, first of all, these are small children, and uh, it pretty much tells us that in verse 16. Actually, you know what? (laughs) Let's read the passage before we get into the notes. It's uh, found in Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. (laughs) Uh, That would be important for us to read the passage before we talk about it. Be silly for us to talk about it without reading it. So Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. 
And he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. So probably infants or very, very small children. He took them in his arms. He's not taking 12-year-old children into his arms. Infants, probably. Put his hands on them and bless them. So that is the reading of God's word. And that is what we will look about today. The disciples rebuked the families for bringing their children to Jesus. Why did they do that? Well, first of all, they were small. And what happens when you have small children? Well, most of the time you have small children, they do what? They cry. They cry. And uh, the disciples are upset because I don't know how many small children there are, but there probably are a few, and there are some pushy parents trying to take time away, the disciples thought, from the more important things that Jesus is doing. And the more important things that Jesus is doing is teaching and healing. So the disciples were upset, and it says the disciples rebuked these people, these parents, for bringing these children to Jesus. Blessing children actually was a part of their culture, and so the people, these parents, wanted this famous rabbi, and by now Jesus is known throughout the area, they wanted this famous rabbi to give their children a spiritual blessing. And the blessing went something like this. They would bless that the child would be famous or obedient to the law. So if you were a Jewish parent, you would want your rabbi or your uh, synagogue elders or even the head of the house to say a blessing on their children. And this blessing would be something like this, that they would uh, want the child to be famous or obedient to the law that the child would be faithful in marriage, and that the child would be abundant in good works. But after that blessing, after that blessing, kids were supposed to disappear. Kids were not really... After that blessing, kids were supposed to disappear because children, they thought, are irrelevant. Children... In that time, after the blessing, children are irrelevant. And the disciples were not even interested in Jesus blessing these children. As I said before, let the fathers or the elders of the synagogue do it. So the disciples, it says, rebuke. And that's a very strong word. The disciples rebuke the parents. It means to reprimand them or to punish them. Children were irrelevant and had no place taking up the time of Jesus. These children in the disciples' eyes were irrelevant to God because they could not do the things needed to gain God's favor. Children can't do anything to gain God's favor, and so they are irrelevant. They can't, and if you think back to the book of Matthew... Matthew chapter 7, I think it is, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, when you do your acts of righteousness, these children could not find favor in God's eyes because they didn't know how to do the acts of righteousness. The acts of righteousness were to pray, to give, and to fast, 
Those were the acts of righteousness. And because children cannot pray, cannot give, and cannot fast, they are irrelevant. And this was just a trivial interruption. But (laughs) Jesus sees what they are doing. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. In the King James Version, it says he was much displeased. Well, indignant is a stronger word, isn't it? I'm displeased or I'm indignant. If I'm indignant, you know I've got some issues. Like the harshness of the disciples rebuking Jesus uses a word indignant, meaning angry or very irritated. Jesus did not think this was an insignificant issue. And the writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, did not think this an insignificant issue. So, point number two, Jesus welcomed the children and blessed them. He welcomed the children and He blessed them. He took them into His arms. In the church I grew up with, our pastor loved to do uh, infant, it's not baptism, infant dedication. That's the word, thank you. Infant dedication. And we had a, a relatively large church, and so at times there were a number of parents that would bring their children up to the front and have them dedicated. And our pastor would poke and prod to get these children to do something, all right? Whether it was giggle, and I don't know if you ever go online and watch, you know, children giggle online. You just can't help but laugh when they start giggling. And so he would do anything to prod to get these children to giggle, and sometimes in his prodding, they would also start crying. And, uh, you know, especially when, because don't you just want to grab a child, a little child and hold them? Don't you just want to bring them close and, and hold them and squeeze them? I love to do that when we have small children here, but immediately when I do that, you see that bottom lip of those children kind of quiver, and immediately I see a frown, and so then you have to have to pass them back. But Jesus thinks that this is important, and so Jesus welcomes the children and He blesses them. And He says in verse 14, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. God's sphere of salvation includes these children. So this famous rabbi, and and he does it differently than the others, because most of the time the other rabbis or the other elders of the synagogue would not hold them because they might be unclean. But Jesus, it says, holds them. He puts his hands on them, it says, and he blesses them. Verse 16, and he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blesses them. Now, I do think what's interesting is this would have been the perfect time when he was talking about 
kingdom principles, this would have been the perfect time for Jesus to also include the importance, if it was, of infant baptism. You know, these children will belong to the kingdom if they're circumcised, if they're baptized, if those were important issues. This would have been the perfect time for Jesus to say that. Just a highlight there. But he says, just the fact that they were infants allowed them the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says welcoming children was his example of grace. Welcoming children was his example of grace. These babies, before they reach a point in time, when before God they become accountable for believing or not believing, are under a special divine grace. All right, I'll say that one more time. These babies, before they reach a point in time, when before God they become accountable for believing or not believing, are under a special divine grace. And we all receive God's kingdom by grace. It's not anything we can inherit or deserve. We receive God's kingdom by grace. The world, if they even believe in heaven, believe that they receive God's kingdom by works, don't they? I've said this a number of times, but if you went to Target and stand out in front of the store and just ask people as they come in, are you, are you going to go to heaven? They would oftentimes say yes. And then if you were to say, how are you going to get there? What would they say? Well, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. That's, that's how I'm going to get to heaven. And of course, that's not what the Bible says. They believe in a scale of works, and the Bible says that's not how you get to heaven. You don't get there by works. In fact, one of the more scary Bible verses is uh, Matthew chapter 7, and we've talked about this before. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's a work. And in your name, drive out demons. That's a work. And perform many miracles. That's a work. And then Jesus says to them, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Hey, they were saying, you know what? We did all these things. We went to church every, every Sunday. Every time the doors were open, we went to church. We even read our Bible. Many days of the week, we said prayers. We even gave some of our money to poor people. Or when our church had a food shelf, we distributed. But Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. you got to be on the team to make good works important. you got to be on the team. you got to be on God's team first. And the only way you get on God's team is by God's grace. We all know the verse, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, not from yourselves, not works. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then it says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. By grace, through faith, for good works. 
So Jesus welcoming these children was an example of grace. Now, I wrote down a few questions to ponder. And the first question is this. Do infants and small children who die enter God's kingdom? Do they go to heaven? And I was even thinking about this in terms of abortion too. Do infants or aborted babies, small children who die, enter God's kingdom? Now, first of all, we need to know, because the Bible tells us this, that all precious babies, even though they are so precious and you want to hold them and you want to squeeze their chubby cheeks, you want to nibble on their chubby little legs, at least I do, uh, they are born with a sinful nature. Okay, all of us are. We are born with a sinful nature. But God protects them until they become accountable for believing or not believing. And one of the ways we know this is Jesus never blesses. So it says this, he took him in his arms and he blessed them. One of the ways we know this is Jesus never blesses those who are cursed. So if the children are cursed, Jesus is not going to give them a blessing. These children are blessed because Jesus says they belong to the kingdom. Yes, they are sinful from birth. We are all sinful from birth. Psalm 51.5 says that. And you know the way that we know that infants are sinful from birth? Because if they die, that is the consequence of sin. And there can't be anything worse than losing an infant to death. I mean, there, I, I, just, I just can't even imagine of anything worse. But the reason they do die, if they do, is because the wage of sin is death. So they are born sinners, but somehow God protects them. And that's what I'm saying here. But in these early years, by God's divine grace, they are held responsible for their spiritual choices or they are not held, let me say that again, in these early years by God's divine grace, they are not held responsible for their spiritual choices between sin and righteousness. And a perfect example of this, there's other scriptures, but one I want to draw to your attention. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, David, in previous chapters, sins with Bathsheba. They conceive a child and the child is born. But after a moment and after David prays and prays and prays and prays, the child dies. Now, I want to I read that to you. 2 Samuel and verse, or chapter 12. And... Verse 19 says this, 2 Samuel 12, 19. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. 
He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And here you go. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. The thought being that David is saying, because he is an infant, he will go to heaven, and I will go to him. Now, I want you to contrast that with 2 Samuel chapter 18. And in this story, it talks about Absalom. Absalom is one of the king's sons, and he is disobedient. And in verse 33 of chapter 18, Absalom dies. Now talk about the difference between King David's response in 1 Samuel 8, or I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 12 and 2 Samuel 12 and 2 Samuel 18. Listen to his response here in verse 33 of 18. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And and as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And then look down at verse 4. The king covered his face and cried aloud, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I mean, a humongous difference between the death of the infant and the death of his son. The reason is because he knows the infant is going to heaven and his son, he's not so sure. And so there is a tragic mourning for his son, Absalom. So... I think from Scripture, do infants and small children who die enter God's kingdom? I think our passage today, as well as that contrast in those two stories, as well as other Bible verses, would say yes, yes. In these early years, by God's divine grace, children are not held responsible for their spiritual choices between sin and righteousness. The next question to ponder is, are you saved by grace or works? And of course, we've already said you are saved by grace. When children do become accountable for their sin, and what age is that? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Mary and I, we became Christ followers at eight years old. I've talked to children before the year of eight, and they understand what it means to be a Christ follower. They understand their sin. They understand a need of repentance. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, right around in there maybe. When children become accountable for their sin, they now know right from wrong. When they are able to reject the truth of God conscientiously, that divine grace is taken away, and we then become accountable to God for our sin, and then that's the time by grace we receive Christ through faith. And I think our passage also teaches that you and I and really anyone, we come to God's kingdom through childlike faith. 
A child is simple. A child is open. A child is trusting. A child is dependent. A child is weak. A child is humble. And that's how we come to the Lord in that way. When we come to the Lord in the way of works, it's like, look at what I've done. And Jesus is saying, no, you come to the Lord like a child. I read this this past week. Kingdom citizenship is offered to both children and those who are childlike. Kingdom citizenship is offered to both children and those who are childlike. So questions to ponder. The last one is this. How do we as a church welcome and bless children? How do we as a church welcome and bless children? You know, a lot of times, I mean, this is only 13, 14, 15, 16, four verses. Four verses. And sometimes when we read this, we just kind of rush over it. You know, we just kind of rush over it. But I got to thinking, how do we as a church welcome and bless children? Sometimes this passage is overlooked. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke think it's important enough to put that in here. When we take care of children and share with them the love of Jesus, we are building God's kingdom. And this is important for parents and grandparents. Parents and grandparents. You may be the only missionary your child or grandchild will ever see and hear. And of course there is no greater joy for a parent or a grandparent to present their children or grandchildren to Jesus. And after that presentation they become Christ followers. I just found this this morning. Uh, Dr. Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis Ministry has just written, actually revised a book, and the book is entitled, Will They Stand? Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. And I thought that this was a good book that I'm going to order for myself, and I'll pass it along to anybody that might be interested. But grandparents and parents, we have an important responsibility to share Jesus with our children and grandchildren. Someone not meaning to be complimentary said to me a few months ago, you really spend a lot of time with the kids of this church. <laughs> and I, they, they were not meaning to be complimentary, I don't think. In fact, I know they weren't. But I said to them, you better believe I do. You better believe I do. Uh, the kids of the Minnetrista Baptist Church are super important, and therefore I always will spend a good chunk of time, if I can, with the kids of the Minnetrista Baptist Church. I ran across this quote from a book I have that was written in 1855 by commentary Albert Barnes. And this is what it says. I thought it was so apropos for even today. How happy would it be if all parents thus felt it to be their privilege to present their children to Christ? Our children are given to us but for a little time. And those of us that are older know, where did those years go? I remember when I was in the midst of it, it was like, when are they going to ever leave the house? But man, as you get older, it was like, where did that time go? They are in a world of danger, sin, and woe. 
They are exposed to temptation on every hand. If God be not their friend, they have no friend that can aid them in the day of adversity or keep them from the snares of the destroyer. If he is their friend, they have nothing to fear. The proper expression then of parental feeling is to come and offer them early to God. That's why we do baby dedications, offer them early to God. A parent should ask only the privilege of doing that. With proper feelings, he will rush to the throne of grace and daily, this is the parent, daily seek the protection and guidance of God for his children amidst the temptations and snares of an ungodly world and employ him or her to be their guide when the head of the parent shall be laid in the silent grave. I thought, oh, that sounds like something written in 1855. So the children who have been devoted to God, who have been the daily objects of a father's prayers and a mother's tears, who have been again and again presented to Jesus in infancy and childhood, are under the most sacred ties to live to God. They should never forget that a parent sought the favor of God as the chief blessing. And having been offered to Jesus by prayer in their first days on earth, they should make it their great aim to be prepared to meet him, Jesus, when he shall come in the clouds of heaven. 1855, I think it really applies today. At the bottom of your bulletin, theologian Carl F. Henry, I got a few of his books in my office, was asked, what is the most significant truth of the Bible? And his response, oh, I love it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's again so really practical. Just talking about families and how important it is to start our children, our grandchildren, off at a very young age to seek after Jesus, to make Him the Savior of their lives, to live for Him until eternity comes. Lord, thank you for the story, even though it's just a few verses, a good reminder for us to take care of the children that God has blessed us with to take care of the families that God has blessed us with, to be good moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles. Lord, thank you for your holy word. We pray that we will be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.